0: That's where we're going to be picking up our series, Acts chapter 5, and, and while we're, you're turning there, I just want to mention how much of a joy it was yesterday. Um, 21 couples gathered yesterday at the church office um, to be sharpened in our marriage together, and it was so good to be together. I, I say this to encourage any who, who wanted to get there and wasn't able to. For some reason, we're going we're gonna to be doing another session in November on the 13th. That's on a Saturday. Uh, this one is, uh, this one stands to get a little juicy because we're talking about, um, we're talking about communication and conflict resolution in that one. And so, uh, I think again, I won't ask for hands this week, but I think it's fair to say that everyone in this room, um, and particularly every married couple in this room can grow in communication and in conflict, biblical, conflict resolution. And so I just want to commend that to you uh, as we have another opportunity. It was so good to be together yesterday, and then we look forward to being together on the 13th. And as we turn again to the Word of God this morning, here's, here's our prayer for uh, our church today, is that God would bless you through His Word, that you would encounter the living God through His living Word. And and so with that, let me just kind of set the table. You know, the other night we had a we had a gathering of folks at our house. And before they came, we set the table so that when they walked in, we were ready to roll. So let me take a moment now to set the table regarding what we've been talking about in Acts 5, particularly for our guests, but for all of us as well. So we know that the book of Acts was written by a doctor. The doctor's name was Luke. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And near to the end of the Gospel of Luke, we have the account of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died an atoning death on the cross for the sins of all people who would ever believe. And by God's power through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised again from the dead. The first one ever to live on in glory. And he is alone and distinct in that distinction. And here God raised him from the dead. The book of Acts starts. Jesus is about to ascend back to the Father. What does he say to the disciples? I'm going to give you power by the Holy Spirit, but you got to wait. So go back into Jerusalem. They were on the Mount of Olives. Go back into Jerusalem and await And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit came in mighty power, like a rushing wind upon those 120 disciples. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, it says, in the Holy Spirit, and their mouths were moved along by the Spirit. They were now uttering words that in in languages other than their native languages, such that people who were visiting and out-of-towners could say, hey, they're speaking the words of Christ in my native tongue. God's power was made manifest even through the language of the people of God. And Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, preached a resounding sermon by the power of God, and 3,000 people are saved. And so the church goes from 120 to a megachurch in one hour as Peter preached. Now there's 3,120 people And the church is growing and pulsating with power. They're, they're sharing their possessions. They're, they're selling things so that nobody had any needs. And, and, and there's this work that God is just doing in this powerful way. Well, in the midst of all of this great work that, that the gospel is accomplishing, enter the scene, this opposition that is coming. This opposition that was there because as, as Peter and John go and they, they encounter a a man who's, who's lame, they they just reach out in the power of God and, and say, hey, brother, stand up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and, and praising God. And because of that, they got in trouble with the religious authorities. And so they threw Peter and John in jail and said, hey, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, hey, uh, we can't help but preach What we have seen and what we have heard. And so they went on preaching. And they went back and reported what had happened. And the church gathers for prayer. And what do they pray for? They pray not, oh Lord, please take these threats away. These are awful things. No, that's not what they pray. They pray, Lord, give us even greater boldness that your word may go forward from us. And then what happens again is in this chapter, we'll see they get thrown back in jail twice And opposition is mounting. There is great, in fact, opposition here. But the proclamation of the gospel, this unstoppable gospel, it's rolling forward. God is building his kingdom. God is building his kingdom in the midst of great hostility, great opposition. In our passage, we're going to see a few things. A couple of things that are mighty and powerful signs and wonders being done through the apostles. We see that that the Sadducees get even more organized in their opposition to the power of the gospel. And they, they not only throw them in jail, but then they beat them severely, commanding them not to preach the name of Christ. And we'll see at the end of our passage, these apostles, having been imprisoned, having been beaten now, you might think that they kind of limped back to, to the huddle and, and reported back to the people of Christ that, hey, you know, we gotta take it easy. L- look at, look at us. We've just been beaten. We better take it easy. No, they, they rejoiced, dear friends, that they could suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful passage and I pray that God helps us to receive it. Uh, I titled this message, Honored to be Dishonored. That was the heartbeat of the church. It was certainly the heartbeat of the apostles. They were honored to be dishonored by being associated with the name of Jesus Christ. So we're in Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read starting at verse 12 right through the end of the chapter. Uh, As I read, I remind us all, this is the holy, perfect, inerrant word of the living God. Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of them dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets, And laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Lord, we read of these acts of the apostles. We read of the persecution that arose. We read of them being beaten. And we see their response. And Lord, most of us, at least, if we're honest, we would say, wow, I I don't have that kind of faith. To rejoice, to rejoice in the beatings, to rejoice in suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, there is something in us that is stirring. There is something of us that longs, in one sense, to carry the name of Christ despite the cost that it may cost us. Despite what comes, Lord, we, we earnestly, we want to be faithful to you. And so today in the preaching of this text by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you fortify us, Lord, that we may be faithful to you even as we see the example of our brothers who preceded us, we pray this together and ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. There's there's a lot here, dear friends. Obviously, narratives. Um, I, you know, we can't go verse by verse as we do. Maybe like some more doctrinal sections of scripture, uh, but I so I have to narrow it down. Okay, what what do I believe the Lord wants to accent for us today? There are three things that I, I see here. Um, that, that I think the Lord just wants to accent for us today. The, the three are, number one, we see God's power on display. His, His power and His love on display through signs and wonders and, and miracles of healing. So God's power is on display. Secondly, we see in the hearts and lives of the apostles, obedience and the church, obedience amidst growing hostility. So, so the hostility isn't remaining the same. It's actually, it's, it's ratcheting up a notch or two. And then we see rejoicing and suffering for His name. Those are the three things that I believe the Lord wants to accent for us to, to think about and consider this morning as we interact with this word. So let's start with God's power on display. In the first part, uh, of chapter five in Acts, as we heard so well preached last week as Chris brought the message, we saw the struggle. We saw sin enter into the church in a particular way. Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They said, uh, you know, we, they didn't have to sell their land, but they sold their land. Secretly, they agreed beforehand to say, hey, let's keep part of it for us. And let's say together that we sold it for this much. They had every right to keep all of it, but for some reason they, they chose to misrepresent and deceive. And, and Peter said, you've not lied, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And God's judgment comes upon the people of God by causing Ananias and Sapphira to fall over dead. I mean, this is sharp judgment. What was God communicating in that sharp judgment? What was he saying? He was saying, my church is to reflect me, and I am holy. Therefore, my church is to be holy as well. And and so there was a sobriety that descended upon that church, and they were sobered by the, the, you know, even as we heard this morning about our holy God, they were aware of the holiness of God. It cost two people their lives as they had lied to the Holy Spirit. So So there is a sobriety. So if you will, that would be picture one. Uh, of the church. But that's not the only picture going on here in Acts chapter 5 because picture 2, uh, commensurate to this, going along at the same time is this this great joy that is bubbling over in the lives of the believers because God's power is on display. He is He is moving and using uh, people in mighty ways, and in particular ways, the apostles. Signs and wonders are being done. The, the display of God's kindness is is right there as as people are being healed. People who are sick. People who are afflicted with uh, different kind of afflictions, as it describes for us, they are they are being healed by the power of God. God is in a particular way, and I don't know why, but in a particular way, he is using Peter. He's using Peter to, to heal the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. Um, God's power was on display. Look at what verse 14 says, the effect of this was. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People were amazed by the mighty works of God. They, they, they're seeing things that their eyes had never seen before. And Peter is, is I mean, he's already done this. Remember when he... He and John, they, they brought up the, the lame man. What did they say? Hey, don't look at us as if this is some power in us. Look at God. God's the one who made this man be able to, to walk and leap and praise God. So he's already deflecting the glory back to God. But, but God is using Peter in a, in a particular way. Uh, God's power was using him in a particular way. So much so... That even if Peter walked by you and it was sunny out and the shadow of Peter fell upon a sick person, they were healed. I mean, th- this is amazing and, and unusual. And God was at work. Unless we call this some form of superstition or magic, it, it may not be very much unlike that woman who was bleeding, who, who didn't need to have Jesus touch her, but just simply touched the edge of his garment and she was healed God is doing this mighty work and it's drawing people to himself people are being amazed at the works of God they're being amazed at the power of God in the gospel to forgive their sins and and one of the demonstrations of that power was that God was restoring life and and healing people and and bringing them back to health God was on the move Yes, there was opposition, but God was accomplishing his mission of building the kingdom. And in particular way, at this time, he was using the gift of healing. And aren't we grateful that the gift of healing, which was being poured out in a particular way on that day, is still in operation today? 1 Corinthians 12 records for us that the gift of healing is one of the gifts that God still today gives to people. And as the church of God uses the gifts that God has given, some with the gift of healing, healing still occur today. James 5 instructs us that the, the prayer of faith makes the sick well. The prayer of a righteous person, James says, is powerful and effective as it is working. So we humbly acknowledge that God is the one who's in charge of healing. The the power comes from him. The decision comes from him. We simply humble ourselves and we cry out and we ask for God to heal and then we leave the results to him in his providential care. In his good and fatherly knowledge, in his wisdom, he's the one that decides when and how to bring healing, and we trust him. Dear friends, if God gave his son to be killed in our place as a ransom for us, as as we look at the character of God that would do something like that, we can trust God. Even in the midst of unanswered prayer, we can trust God that he is good and that he is at work and that we may never know the time at which he may grant the grace for healing. So what do we do? How do we posture ourselves? (laughs) If you weren't here a few weeks ago, I said, how do we posture ourselves to receive the spirit? Well, kind of like if we're receiving a football. We we know how to catch a football. We don't stand with our arms like this and expect to catch a football we, we expect to catch football like this. Well, how do we posture ourselves, dear church, to receive even now the gift of healing from God? We posture ourselves by, by praying. We posture ourselves by asking. We posture ourselves by, by seeking and by trusting in the providential wisdom of God to give as he so chooses See here, God is working and powerfully drawing people to himself and there's something that's happening and I, I just want to point it out here. Look, look at what it says in verse 16. It says, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So remember what Jesus had said to them back in Acts chapter 1, and I want to quote it for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, check. They've got the power of the Holy Spirit. They're walking and, and able to perform these things in the power of the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. Thank you, Ben and Vaughn, for encouraging us all to continue to be his witnesses in our community. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so far in the narrative, all we've heard about is all happening in Jerusalem. But now it's busting out of Jerusalem people in the towns outside of jerusalem the gospel is gaining momentum it is moving somewhere it is going and it will cover the ends of the earth but you see it's happening right here it's going outside of jerusalem You can't contain the power of God. You can't contain the power of the gospel to go where it's gonna go. And, and can you imagine the excitement of these apostles and the church? So, you know, it's, it's growing and at this, at this stage, it's over 5,000 people. And like healings are happening. Amazing things are happening. The gospel is going forward. And, and there's there's the sobriety because of Ananias and Sapphira. But there's also this pulsating joy of what's taking place. God is building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and though there may be struggle, though there may be difficulty, uh, it, it goes on. And it's happening right before their very eyes. Yet with all this excitement and joy and with the glory of God on display through his power, there was also trouble that was being aroused. And this brings us to point number two. We see their obedience amidst a growing hostility. So we, we hear record of the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? You know, we, we often think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, the Pharisees at least believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. That's why they were sad, you see. And so the, these folks together, they, they were miserable folk because when you talked about the name and the power of Jesus Christ, they just got angrier and angrier. See, they, they were, they were the elite they were the spiritual elite. They were the ruling power. They did not like this upstart from Galilee named Jesus, and they, they wanted to deal with him, and they thought they had dealt with him by the cross. And yet the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God resurrected Jesus out of that grave, and now they've got to continue dealing with him, and they're just getting angrier and angrier as the name of Christ is going forward. And what we see in these verses... Is the work actually of the enemy of Satan. This is, this is a text that has cosmic forces at work through the work of the gospel. So we already know that Satan entered the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. To, to lie to the Holy Spirit. See, anytime the, the power of God is on the move, there is the opposition of our enemy, Satan. To try to undermine, to try to thwart, to try to suppress the work of the gospel. He will ultimately never be able to do that, as we know. And as we rejoice in, and as we will at the end of the sermon... Um, but the fact is, anywhere where the power of God is on display, there is the work of Satan to oppose it. So we see Satan moving through the Sadducees. We see, so there's Satan on one side, and there's the angels involved as well. I mean, the angels are coming and, and opening the doors of prison and carrying out the apostles so that they can continue to preach. What it, what it does, it just reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said Um in Ephesians 6:12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I just want to remind us, you know, even even as we live in our day, dear friends, and and we 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 see and we perceive spiritual darkness, don't we? If you have eyes to see, if you have hearts to perceive, we just we do. We see spiritual darkness. I don't want to focus on that, but but we can't deny it, right? There is spiritual darkness in our world. And sometimes we forget and we think that this is just a man's struggle, a a struggle of, of humanity. Well, listen again to these words. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood primarily. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, when when God is doing something great, our enemy will be there to oppose it. Our enemy will be there to try, to attempt, to strike it down. See, see... This is what happened to Satan in the first place. He wanted the glory of God for himself. While he was an angelic being, he craved the glory that was due to God alone. And that's what Isaiah 12 tells us sent him sprawling down from heaven. It was his pride. Like, I want to be exalted. I want that place of glory and power and authority. And so wherever God is doing his great work of showing forth his glory and power, there Satan is opposing it, working against it, finding any way to disrupt the church. Chapter 6, we've already read the first section. What? How how was Satan at work in chapter 6? He was like, you know, the Hellenists, Remember, they were getting overlooked in the distribution of the daily food and, and the needs that they had. And so there was a grumbling that was rising. I mean, Satan is never uh, not at work. He's always trying to do something. And in chapter 6, that's the next way he tries to disrupt the church. Hey, you shouldn't be overlooked. Hey, let's let's grumble together. Let's complain. Let's gossip. Let's Let's slander. And Satan is at his work. Yet, the gospel advances nonetheless as God's people obey him. Notice what the angel said. So again, they throw these guys in prison. They're locked up. Uh, All the Sadducees, they go home for the night and they, they are resting comfortably. They come back in the morning like, all right, let's get them out of prison. What's happened while they're sleeping on their beds is an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors. Set the captives free so that they could go out and proclaim. Look with me at verse 20, what it says there. This is the command of the angel. Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of life. And what does it say that the apostles did? They're like, ah, you know, uh, last night was pretty uncomfortable in jail. We don't really want to go back there. So um, maybe we'll get back to that in a few weeks. No, they went and they obeyed in the midst of, they didn't know what. Would they get thrown back in jail? Probably. Would they be beaten? Probably. Would they, their lives be taken? Probably. They didn't know, but they obeyed in the midst of this growing persecution. So when the Sadducees realize that they're out and they're preaching, they quietly this time arrest them. Why? Why did they quietly arrest them? Well, because the Sadducees, I mean, these these guys were totally misled and their hearts were hardened, but they weren't dummies. They knew that the people could see the evidence that God was at work among them. I mean, by what power would they be able to heal people? It was by the power of God. And they knew it. And if they went to arrest the apostles in, in some big public way, the people would have taken stoned and stoned the Sadducees. And they knew that. So when they went to arrest them the second time, they you know, keep a low pro and just go in and take them out and bring them back. They bring them back and they set them before the council and they say, hey, we told, we commanded you. I mean, you can uh, imagine they weren't, you know, sitting around with smiles on their face. We commanded you not to preach and to teach. And how, how do they respond? They say, you know, very clearly verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. We, we've got to do this. You can command all you want. But if you're saying to keep our mouths shut for the cause of the gospel, we're not doing it. We've got to obey God rather than men. There is a higher authority to which they and we as Christians appeal to when human authorities say, hey, you cannot do what God is commanding you to do. We say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, Stott, John Stott, the uh, commentator, Pastor theologian says it better than I, and I just want to read the way he characterized it. He says, To be sure, Christians are called to be conscientious citizens and, generally speaking, to submit to human authorities. But, if the authority concerned misuses its God given power to command what he forbids or forbid what he commands, then the Christian's duty is to disobey the human authority in order to obey God's. That's exactly what they did here. Like, okay, we've been commanded by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to go and to go with the gospel and to preach in his name. And now you're saying, don't do that? I'm sorry. We're going to obey God rather than obey man. And then and there, what does Peter do? I mean, this dude is bold. Uh, Last night we were watching for a few minutes, uh, or a few episodes, The Chosen. I, I yeah, again commend this to you. It's, it's, it's so well done. The Chosen was on and we were just watching the boldness of Peter as portrayed by the character that plays him. I was just reminded of how much I like Peter and, uh, he's just so bold. And what does he do here after saying we must obey God rather than men? What does he do? But he preaches the gospel to the Sadducees. I mean, I mean, these guys are just, you can kind of feel their, their anger boiling up, and, and he preaches the gospel to them. Let me let me just read it again. He, he concisely proclaims the gospel. Read with me. Um, I'm at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, what did he do? He raised Jesus, number one, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God did something else. Number two, God exalted him Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And God did something else. Number three, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter, in a very concise way, just proclaims the gospel to him. God raised Jesus from the dead. God exalted him in heaven right now as your king and your Lord. And God gave the Holy Spirit all of those things that these Sadducees did not believe with all their hearts. And, and how do they respond to him? And the Holy Spirit fell and they said, brothers, what must we do to be saved? No, look at what it says. Verse 33, when they heard this, the Sadducees, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I mean, if we needed a a better explanation for uh, how they responded to the proclamation of the name of Jesus, we couldn't have it. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. I don't know how you would know that they would want to kill them other than their physical being was just affected. Maybe they were tearing their clothes. Maybe they were foaming. I don't know. But they wanted to kill them. And in the power of God, and, and Peter and the apostles, they knew this. They, they, they were ready to stand. Do you know what it reminds me of is the spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? You know the story in Daniel three, where where Nebuchadnezzar is is commanding worship, and these three righteous dudes. Um, let me read to the way they respond to this. Uh, Daniel three sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter." If this be so, our God, you know, this threat of being thrown into the fiery furnace, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In order to say that, you've got to believe something about God. In order to to act that way, you've got to know that that what God has said is true. In order to have the boldness to preach the gospel to the the very ones who have the power to, to, to execute you or not, you've got to know that the truth actually does reside in your hearts through the word of God. You've got to know it. And dear friends, in, in our day, you know, this is why we, we, we do children's ministry right now. This is why we do youth parent this coming Tuesday night. This is why we have a young adults Bible study. This is why we walk in care group together. This is why we have this time every Sunday so that we by the Holy Spirit's witness in our own hearts that we might know that this is true. Because the day may come when you and I are called to stand. Will we be able to stand? By grace, we will. Because we know that this is true. And may God give us the grace to stand in the midst of this kind of persecution. Whatever form it may take in your life or in my life, may God give us the grace to stand as we cling to him and to his promises. We don't know what the next days hold, but we know today that God is going to be faithful to us, even as he is faithful to these men. Let me move now to the third point. They were rejoicing in suffering for the name of Christ. Uh, we don't have absolute record here, uh, from the scripture of how they were beaten, but historians have done a significant amount of work, and, and when the, the word that's used here in the Greek for, for this beating, it was often associated with the Roman beating of 40 lashes minus one. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but, but it's a popular phrase back then. Why 40 minus one? Why 39 lashes? Well, 40 lashes in that culture and in that time was known to be enough to actually kill a man that or a person. Uh they would bleed enough because of the the direct ki- I'm not going to go into the detail of the the kind of whipping that it was. It's it's not necessary. It simply would be suffice to say it would elicit a lot of blood loss with 40 uh, lashes and and so they didn't want to be guilty of putting these men to death necessarily so they would do right up to the to the edge of legally putting them to death so they would do 40 minus 1 um so commentators think that likely here that's what these apostles received to the very edge of life and how did they respond i, I verse 41 then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name one um, one theologian said it this way they were honored to be dishonored they were given the grace to be disgraced they counted it an honor we have a hard time when people call us names. And, and, and that's not to shame us, by the way. It's simply just to draw our eyes to these were men that believed God and they trusted in him and they could walk through a difficult time, a tremendously difficult time, all kinds of opposition and persecution because they believed the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew 5, blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I would imagine... Let me get myself together here, sorry. I would imagine that as those men were being beaten, however it was that they were being beaten, that they were going back to that sermon on the mount that Jesus preached. It was only a few years ago when he taught that to them, and they were just remembering these words. Jesus says, I'm blessed. Jesus says, I'm blessed. Jesus, says, I'm blessed. Jesus tells me to rejoice and be glad. And what do they do in the midst of all kinds of opposition? They rejoiced, and they were glad. And I want that kind of faith. And I believe many of you do too. That in the midst of opposition and persecution of various types, that we would stand in the power of God. There's this guy, this early church historian, theologian. His name is Tertullian he was uh, born in 160 AD, and he was he was a prolific writer, and uh, he lived in Tunisia, right in the north of Africa, r- directly south from Rome in Tunisia, North Africa, which Rome had, had governance at that time over Tunisia and some surrounding territories, and there was great persecution coming from Rome on the Christians, and they were killing Christians in all kinds of forms and fashion, which you have, may have heard about in your own reading of church history but this is what Tertullian said in AD 192. He said in speaking back to those who are persecuting them, the Romans, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. That was happening and would be happening to these apostles here. I know this is heavy, but but this is where the Lord has us this morning. Here's what I want to say. In order to walk through a season of suffering, a difficulty for the name uh, of Christ, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to put our focus there. We're not, we're not here week in, week out to talk about persecution. We we It comes when it comes. We keep our eyes on Christ. And that's what they were doing. They were keeping their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. And, and so let me, let me try to draw this to a close now and make some briefly, very briefly, just a few points of application for us. So we've seen, number one, that the glory of God was going forth through healing and through these, these miraculous things that God was doing. We also reminded ourselves that the, the gift of healing is for today. And so I just want to say again, if you're here this morning, if you're sick... If if you want to be prayed for, let's just gather together and pray that God would be pleased to bring healing. We pray and we seek and we ask in faith and we leave the results to him. But let's, let's just be encouraged that God is still at work. He is still moving in these powerful ways. Secondly, the obedience of the disciples in the face of growing hostility was very real. What did they do? They put their eyes on the promises Of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, let us put our eyes collectively on the promises of God. He will never leave us and never forsake us. And may we be faithful in our day, tomorrow, this afternoon, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with out at the park in two weeks, and then out on the streets of Saraton a week later. Lord, wherever we are, may we be faithful, and then may we have joy in the midst of these things. Let, let us not leave here today with like, oh man, I don't know if I could ever be beaten. That's not, that's not the application point. The point is, let us be joyful people who have been consumed by God himself, who keeps their eyes together on the Lord. Though the winds and the waves blow all around us, oh, we keep our eyes on the Lord. Why? Because though we have an enemy who hates the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a promise from God. What is that promise? That though the gates of hell may press upon us, though various distractions and evils may come upon us, though we may have ailments and difficulties and sins, That persist as we fight. We have the promise of the living God that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. He will build his church and he will help his people to be faithful to the end because God has promised so and we can stand in that promise. And I want you actually literally to stand with me. Uh, I, I thought it would be helpful if we could to close this way that we might read together. We might read together um, this wonderful hymn that we sing. um, A mighty fortress is our God. You know, the best songs are songs that stir us theologically as we read them. And I, I just I just think it'd be helpful for us to be reminded of God's power. And uh who knows, we may break out in song as we read this, but let's just let's read it. Uh, together, would you, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he, amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Verse two did we in our own strength, confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And yeah, let's go ahead. Let's just sing this last verse. That word above all earthly power, no thanks to them abideth. THE SPIRIT AND THE GIFTS ARE ours THROUGH HIM WHO WITH US SIDETH. LET GOODS AND KINDRED GO, THIS MORTAL LIFE ALSO, THE BODY THEY MAY KILL, GOD'S TRUTH ABIDETH STILL. His kingdom is forever. Oh Lord, we say amen and amen to those truths. We love them and we cling to them and we hold fast to the author of those truths who commissions us in the power of the Holy Spirit to join us in his work of proclaiming the gospel in Souderton and Telford and Harleysville and Philadelphia and the United States of America and to the uttermost parts of the earth as you build your kingdom. And so we say, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your work be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, be glorified. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.